White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 753. The White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast is brought to you by people like you, our Patreon.com family. To join the ranks and help us keep the show going, visit www.b5review.com. That's www.b5review.com and click on the button to become a patron. It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Reviewing the entire Babylon 5 series, plus Crusade and everything else. Now here are your hosts, Van Allen Plexico and Andy Fix. From the palatial White Rocket Studios, located deep inside the Kremlin in the Russian Consortium, It's the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast. Andy, how are you today? I'm doing fine, Van. How are you doing today? I'm good. I am your host, Van Allen Plexico, here for another episode of the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, as I just said. And I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Andy Fix. Andy, we are to season 4, episode 21, Rising Star. Yes, sir. And, And... A a strange. I mean, I'd like to say it's the second to last episode of the season, but the way that things panned out, it's it's not necessarily so. <laughs> it gets complicated at this point right. in history, yeah. And we, and and I'll try to explain that, and you can too, when we get to the end of the episode and we talk about what we'll be doing next, because what we're going to be doing next actually gets a little complicated as well. But um, I'm excited today to be talking about Fortune. We're actually recording this a little earlier than usual in the day, but later in the week, so it kind of balances out that way. But I'm excited to talk about 421 Rising Star, because I don't know if I've mentioned it before or not. I think I have. This is one of my absolute favorite episodes. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about that last week. I just love it. It may be an irrational love. I'm not sure. We'll find that out as we go along. If I'm like, I'm like, Andy, Andy, what about this part? And you're like, yeah, that happened. And I'll be like, yeah, it happened. It was so cool. And you'll be like, yeah, it's okay. We'll see if that's yeah. how it goes. I'll just, I'll just, you know, channel my inner van and say, I didn't get that part. <laughs> oh, God. That hurts. It's true. It hurts because it's true. That's the thing, see. Hurts because it's true. All right. Well, do we have any news? I mean, again, we've got some like programming notes coming up later. I figured I'd save them toward the end. But do we have any Babylon 5 JMS news on your end? I have a couple of things, really. I really can't think of anything that I've run across. I'm interested to see what you come up with. Well, all I've really got is a JMS thing, which is that he has just taken over writing the Captain America comic book for Marvel, and he's kind of excited about it. I think the first issue that he wrote has just come out maybe and he's been kind of tout- touting that on social media i think it's interesting by the way that we now have to specify he's writing the comic book captain america because it's it really is like the movies have kind of replaced the comics as the as the default medium Continuity. yeah yeah, Ab- yeah. Yep, if, like if you told if you told most people joe straczynski's writing captain america they'd think you meant like a fourth movie right, <laughs> right. probably right and I, I will have to admit that I haven't followed uh, Marvel comic continuity yeah. in decades. Yeah. Let me tell you this. The last time I, I went I went to a comic book store this week, and it was to pick up the facsimile issue of Rom Space Knight number one, which 
debuted in 1978. So that's wow. that's why I went to the comic book store this week. Nice. I re- I, ha- I bought that when it came out. I used to have a, a nice run of probably the first 50 issues of ROM somewhere. That was. I, I, I do too. I still have my original ROM number one. That was a good series. I always thought it was like the Silver Surfer with the serial numbers filed off, but but that's okay. It it, it was uh, that was when uh, Marvel was going through its its horror phase. Mm. Uh, they had monsters at the wazoo at that point, and the the comic was written, especially the first like dozen or so issues, very much like a horror comic book was. So it was really it had a different vibe to it than than your typical superhero comics. So that's that's why true. The Dire Wraiths. Yeah. Right, the dire race, and and when Rom first came to to Earth, he was feared, and he was like Frankenstein's monster and stuff like that. So, yeah, then you had the whole body replacement, you know, horror issue of the dire race taking over the town and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. that's true. I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, you're right. It did. It had a um, because that was the same time I was reading Ghost Rider, and it it kind of had had that horror vibe to it too. Yeah, I didn't yep. think about it that way, but I think you're right. Um. So JMS will now have written, we know he had a famous run on Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and he had a famous run on Thor that ended up getting reproduced in one of the movies, in the first movie, I think, right, where he picks Parts up the hammer. Did, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so he's done several, in, in addition to his own comics. So he's, he, he writes pretty good comics. I always enjoy his comics. You can tell yeah. he wrote them. There's, a, always, there's always some JMS-isms scattered around. <laughs> right. So, uh, and there was a... There was a big JMSism in this week's episode that we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah. Um, in fact, I'm going to make a note of it right now. Now I won't forget. Okay, now it's noted. Uh, okay, so let me hit you up with some stuff here. This was production number 421. This whole season pretty much went down according to the numbers. There weren't a lot of shuffling around like we saw in earlier seasons. Really couldn't be. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. I was just about to say that. You couldn't really shuffle anything around or you screw up the whole story. Yeah. Originally aired October 20th, 1997. Uh, written by JMS. We're still on that long streak. I haven't said anything but written by JMS. I think it'll be probably middle of season five before I say anybody other than JMS. Right. Uh, it'll, di- it'll direct. A, yeah. It'll be a pretty impressive name, too, if I remember correctly. Oh, yes. Yeah. There's Well, there's two. There's two right. very impressive names in season five besides JMS. Very, right. very impressive. Yes. Um, directed by Tony Dow. Hmm. He's done several. Yeah, he's yeah he's he has done several. He's Mount Rushmore adjacent at least, I guess. Right, right. He's yeah. like next to the gift shop. Next is <laughs> the Tony Dow Tony Ga- uh, the Tony Dow gift shop at the Babylon Five Mount Rushmore directors. I think you're right. I like that. Um, all right. Here's everybody's favorite part of the episode, sadly enough. It's the guess it's Andy guesses the P5 rating. So the P5 rating, for those that don't know, I'll do this quickly for all of you that do know. Um, the the Lurker's Guide website, when the ep, when the show was first airing back in 97, they would poll their viewers, their their people that watched the show and then went to that website. And you could rate between zero and ten what you thought of this episode. And they use zero to ten. Andy and I later in the later in this episode will use a zero to five scale, which again I continue to regret going with five. And if I'd known we were going to do this at the beginning, I would have gone to ten. But anyway, be that as it may, um, Andy tries to guess what the P five average rating was of viewers at the time, and bearing in mind that you have found out you kind of have to add a little bit because right. we because we think people were more excited back then. 
Right. But sometimes it bites you in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. So This is true. Yeah, I'm, like last week, I believe it bit me in the butt. It did. I'm really, really curious to see what you're going to say for this one, because, again, I rate it very highly. I'm not sure how you rate it, and I wasn't sure how the public rated it until I, spoiler, got to see the, the number. So, what do you think? I'm going to say... Let me see here. Oh, don't do that. <laughs> I'm going to say... 8.9. Well, dead silence descends over the palatial White Rocket Studios. 8.9 is what Andy says. The P5 rating for this episode is 8.9. <laughs> Holy crap. I you think I've nailed it. Tuned it. I've dialed I've dialed in my method now. <laughs> you, you are on the money, my friend. You just nailed it. 8. Point nine, which all right. First, let's take a moment and appreciate the amazing job Andy just did. Well done. <laughs> now let's take a moment and appreciate that the that the viewers liked it that much. Eight point nine, as you may remember, is really good. Not many get yeah. up into the nines. Right. Yeah, it was a huge episode as far as the series goes, <sighs> as far as the season goes, and and yeah. everything. I mean, it was just a huge episode. There was a lot of a lot of a lot of Tying up of loose ends, like I said, of the whole series, there was some really big character moments, big character changes. So yeah, it, it was a big episode. I, I I would imagine that it would it would impress a lot of people. I, yeah, I want to talk about that a little bit here because I think we have to look at this episode in context, and the context is that they when they when JMS wrote this episode and when they filmed this episode. They didn't know there was going to be a fifth season. They thought they thought that 422 was going to be the very end, which would be more of a whatever became of type of episode, right? Right. right. Whereas this is basically the very end, they thought, the very end of the story we've been watching up to this point. Right. right. 422 was an epilogue. This is the this is the denouement, right? 421 was the climax, the big finish, the big battle. Yep. 420. Yep. Which was in game. 421 right. Rising Star was here's how everything falls out and then 422 right. would be and then whatever became of them, right? right? Right. So three big ones in a row. Here's what happens, here's how it plays out and then whatever became of them later. Okay. Yep. So at the time, this episode was the it was the penultimate, as they say. It was the next to last, laying out the the, the final solutions. The, the final well, that's a terrible word. Laying out the results of everything. And I wanna I wanna make clear too that um, there's there's a couple of things that were changed. We're gonna talk about Ivanova. That's a big thing that changed. That's gonna need a whole conversation between us in a minute. Yep. But. Um, but this really was made as if there was only going to be one more hour of the show left after it. And not many shows would do this episode. I wanted to point this out and see what you think about this. Most more episodic shows back in the day, with everything that happens in this episode, it would have led to some A-plot that would need to be resolved in this episode. It wouldn't just be 
and then here's what happened, you know, and here's what happened to right. Sheridan, and here's what happened to Delenn, and here's what happened to Ivano, right? This is a very unusual episode compared to other TV series. That's what I'm trying to get at. Right. It's certainly a different format than what you would expect from a regular episodic TV show. But yes. Babylon 5 has been breaking those expectations the entire oh, yeah. run. So Yeah. I've got more to say about that, but let's move along here. All right. All so right. Who's, whose turn is it to do the summary? I believe it is your turn to do the summary, and I, I would let you do this one even if it was my turn because this is your favorite episode. <laughs> oh, so. uh, EarthGov decides Sheridan's fate. Delenn makes a remarkable proposition to the League of Non-Aligned Worlds. I have something to say about that. Garibaldi searches for lease. All right. Notable guest stars, Denise Gentile, or Gentile as Lise, Rance Howard, Ron Howard's dad as John Sheridan's dad, David Sheridan, the senior David Sheridan. Uh, Beata Posniak as President Luchenko. And Walter, yeah, and Walter Koenig as Bester. And Maggie Egan as the old ISN anchor back from the gulag. Uh, very true. Yes. I, I, I do have a, a quick question about that. Does that make Bruce Boxleitner and... Uh, um, Oh, be like stepbrothers? Yes, it has to. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 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 Absolutely. All right. What kind of random factoids and notes do you have for this episode? You know, the only one that I have is that the uh, that scene with um, um, Marcus, Marcus's fate. They filmed two versions of that because up until the last minute, JMS did not know what way he wanted to go with this. Wow. So they filmed a scene where he died, and then they filmed a scene where they found a way to sort of keep him alive, and then they put him into cryostasis. And then JMS, like I said, he waited until the last minute to, to make the call on that, which, which way he wanted to go with that. What do we get? I don't remember them actually saying in this episode. I know in the next episode we get some sp- Spoilery information I won't go into, but did they? Right. What, what do they say in this episode that we can actually say? He, he died in this episode because he had the sheet covering him and everything. But yet, they never officially said he was dead. But I mean, I I, I, th- I think they I, they they if they didn't come out and explicitly say that he had died. That scene between uh, Franklin and, and Ivanova, I think they heavily implied that he had died. Because, like well, they, I said, he had the sheet over him and everything. Yeah. Well, they certainly implied in the way she was acting and everything. Right. But I. All right. We, can, we, to, can, say, we can save yeah. this discussion for the spoiler. Yeah, I'm, I'm scrolling down now. Uh, we're going to have to. I think that's, right. just, that's just how it is. Um, uh, Marcus's fate. All right, there. Because there's a couple of things that we can talk about there, and I don't want to get into it here. So, right, right fair enough. Uh, and I know JMS yeah. revisited the situation in a in a prose story in Amazing Bingo. Amazing Tales. Yeah. Bingo. Yeah, I just sold somebody a copy. Uh, just about a year ago, I had two copies of it. Oh, really? That's interesting. I put, I, I put it on eBay or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was cool. digging around here and I found two copies and I'm like, well, I don't need two. Somebody would probably like to have it. So somebody paid me like 20 bucks for it and you know, whatever. Nice. Uh, let's see. Uh, man, that, yeah, more to say about that. 
Uh, yeah. Okay, I got a few. Um, yeah, I said that you could tell there's some JMS isms when um, there was like a nurse or something early in this episode that's talking really fast, and they say they ask her something. Somebody asks her something, and she says, "After a fashion," as they're getting on the elevator. Yes. And I'm like, yes. "Oh, come on, JMS! Don't use the same line every time for everybody. Not everybody says that. Just because you apparently right. say that a lot doesn't mean all your characters <laughs> have to say it." Uh, I knew I knew when she said I'm like, oh, Van's gonna bring that one up. <laughs> yep. Can't can't not. Um let's see, a few uh notes. Um so the capital of the new Interstellar Alliance is gonna be on Babylon five until they can build a facility on Tuz- uh, at at Tuzanor. Right. On on Minbar. Right. And um I think they get dressed that into to dream in the city of sorrows. We'll review that book later, but I haven't read it in 30 years. I don't really remember. All right. Um, let's see. Sheridan didn't use Bester's lover, Carolyn. So she's still on Babylon five. So Bester didn't have to kill Sheridan. I have right. a question about that. Why didn't Bester just like use his telepathic powers on Sheridan? Why did he have the whole little bickering, cat and mouse game with him i have no idea i was thinking that too i don't know if, if he was if, I, I don't know i, I have no idea if, if i mean if i don't know if he would be have been uh detected somehow if he uses yeah his abilities or what but and anybody who would be able to detect him would be psychor anyway so <laughs> and subservient to bester right, right, I, right exactly I mean, it made for a great scene, and they had some great dialogue. Those two are awesome together. Yeah. But but um, I just, if I'm Bester, I walk in the door, look at Sheridan, and go, do-do-do-do-do-do, and I go, okay, you can live. Turn around and walk back out, and Sheridan's just sitting there, not said a word. That's all. That, right. that would have been the entire scene. Yeah, that would have been kind of dull. I, it would have been the dull. Scene. It was a, exactly. Yeah, it was a great scene. Exactly. Yeah, you had to do it that way, but I just, I just didn't understand. Right. Uh, okay, what do you think about Susanna Luchenko, the Russian consortium? The the character or the actress? Oh, the character. I, I think she's cool. I think it's very interesting. I think I think that the um, uh, the actress did a fine job with her, and I like that they used an authentic uh, person who uh, ru- an authentic Russian speaker. So yeah, you know, she sounded she didn't sound like a person trying to do a bad Russian accent. Uh, but I, I think the character was very pragmatic and very. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Political without yeah. being evil. Yeah. She, I, I think she kept all of her options open, and I, I think the, uh, the the character was played very well. I think the way she was written and the way she was portrayed, I think, uh, made her seem not necessarily a sympathetic character, but not necessarily an antagonist either. I know that we never saw much of Clark, and so we probably never going to. And plus, it's the end of season four; we never get a chance to see much of her. Right. But um, she, I thought she was an interesting character. I would have liked to have seen more of her. Right. I, I think Earth politics would have been a fascinating thing to get into because yeah. we only see when Clark took over all the, the, the political you know, uh, controls. But if you think about it, Earth is still you know, balkanized. It's still several different countries vying for power and stuff like that, and they somehow still manage a global government. I mean, to to be in charge of that would would require immense uh, political you know know how and, and skills. So I I I would love to see 
you know, more of the, the politics of Earth. I think that would have been kind of cool to see. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Uh, let's see. So Ivanova has been promoted to captain because every time her leader at Babylon 5 goes away, she gets promoted. Right. And she has been reassigned to shake down an experimental new Earth military vessel, a Warlock-class destroyer, which I believe yep. would have artificial gravity. Um, yes. First, the first Earth ship to be like that. And I've seen very tiny snippet pictures of a Warlock, and they're not that... They're impressive looking in a way. They just they're not they're not very exciting looking. You know what I mean? They're just kind of big, like a barge right. or something, like an aircraft carrier. <laughs> My note is I, I made a note here. Ivanova now outranks Sinclair in season one. In other words, if if Ivanova now and Sinclair were in the same room, he would be under her in terms of uh, authority in Earth Force. I think that's pretty cool. Right. Assuming he would not have been promoted in the meantime. Right. No, time, right. but I mean, season one Sinclair is is, is right. the lowest ranked of the three of them. Now, now this once again makes me turn to the whole idea, and I'm not going to go too far into this, but the military ranks on Babylon Five make no sense. <laughs> we 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 have to assume we have to assume that Sheridan being a captain and now Ivanova being a captain uh, is using the naval rank of captain. Because if it was army rank of captain, they're way way low down the pecking order. They're below majors. They're below right. lieutenant colonels, all that, right? But yeah. in the navy, a captain is the equivalent of a full bird colonel in the army, right? So you know, in other words, the only thing higher than a captain in the navy is an admiral, right? So which is, which I'd there like doesn't to th- seem to be in Babylon Five. They go from naval captain to army general. general. <laughs> they switch, yeah, they switch over. It's so weird. I just, right. come on, JMS, you're driving me crazy with that. Uh, let's see. Um, Londo's going to become emperor, and he's not very excited about it. Uh, Garibaldi is in line to get a whole lot of cash. He doesn't seem that excited. He's more happy to see Lisa, I think, and that makes right, sense. But right. she's rich suddenly. I guess that means that Eggers didn't have any living relatives besides his wife of like a year or two. Left everything to not. her. He was he was kind of an old dude. So yeah, yeah. It doesn't surprise me. So in a way, Garibaldi owes everything he has to uh, Bester, <laughs> reuniting oh, him with Lease and getting him all that money, right? By wiping Jeez. out Eggers. Thank you, uh, Al. 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 <laughs> You're Al. very welcome, Mr. Garibaldi. <laughs> um, that's the first time I've ever tried to imitate Bester. I, I don't know if it, it was went very good. Well. I, I like yeah. the little eh at the end there. Yeah, that's kind of what he does. Uh, Sheridan and Delenn get married off screen in this episode, right? Yeah, that was a little crazy. I was expecting that that would have been like a, a bigger deal. Uh, we find out Clark's forces never captured Sheridan's mother, just the just his dad. Yep. And Mom's part ninja. I, yeah. I feel like John's dad could tell you anything and make it sound good. Like <laughs> if your house got blown up and, and everyone in it was killed, he'd be like, well, let me tell you. Now, your house may have gotten blown up and everybody got killed in it, but it'll be okay, son. <laughs> you know, I mean, he just got that attitude that you don't, nothing yeah. bad comes from him. That Midwestern charm. The neighbors are throwing buckets of water on it right now. It'll be all right. <laughs> it's a radioactive swamp, but that's okay. We'll put it out. Uh, JMS really likes to use the name Max. That's another JMSism. Max's pop up all through this show and Crusade. Yeah. Yeah, I never, and ab- I never remember the Abyssinian cat named Max? 
Yep. There's Max Eilerson coming up. Yep. And there's the guy that Garibaldi leans on in this episode. Now, Max. Yeah. I'm going to tell you. More thugs. Yeah, you're a JMS thug. That means you're going to cave in quick when I lean (laughs) on you a little bit. Uh, Let's see. I wanted to note that Delenn does something really smart here. She takes advantage of political capital. When you succeed at something politically, you earn capital. That means you have the chance now to do something because people are on your side. She takes the political capital from the win in the Shadow War and the win in the Earth War, and she creates the Interstellar Alliance, a galactic empire, basically. Right. And I mean... That's like FDR creating the UN and the New Deal when he had the opportunity. Yep. Pretty impressive. Yep. Um, Oh, I did have the note. Yeah, you wouldn't have gotten um, this kind of episode. Yeah, I I noted here that on Star Trek, the politics would have led up to an A-plot where the the politics were setting up the A-plot. On Babylon 5, the politics is the point. Right. Right. This was an episode of people in smoke-filled rooms, metaphorically speaking. Absolutely. Yeah. And and that was the point. Right. It came across more like an episode of The West Wing. Yeah. Yeah. On Star Trek, one of them would have turned out to be an alien in disguise, and there would have been a firefight. And again, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That has its place, and that's cool. But on Babylon (laughs) Five, yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) But on Babylon Five, just having the conversation in the smoke-filled room, metaphorically, uh, is the point. That's the point. Yeah, I love that. I love that about this show. Um, I I also love the whole thing where Luchinko misses the obvious. She's telling Sheridan, "I want you gone. You have to resign." And, sh- and you have to leave Earth Force. I want you out of Earth Force. I want you gone. And Sheridan is sitting there acting like it's a tough decision. But Andy, he's not even wearing an Earth Force uniform in that scene. Right. Exactly. It's right there in front of you, Luchenko. Let's look at the man. He's, he, he put away that uniform halfway through season three. Yeah. He, he's, he has already given up. He has already pulled himself out of Earth Force. Gone. Yeah. yeah. Long gone. He made his resignation in, in the, uh, the that episode where they split from Earth. Yes, and now he's just like, well, I don't know, Susanna. Oh, that's a tough call. Tough ask. Uh, excuse me while I put my Army of Light war vest on. <laughs> I don't know. Should I leave this military? I don't know. You know, it was cool to see him in the, the Earth Force dress uniform there. Oh, yeah, at the very I end. That was really cool, yeah, because that's such a sharp-looking uniform. I mean that's a really cool looking uniform with the braiding and yeah. all that stuff. So and and just just for the character, it was a, it was a neat character moment to see him wearing that too. It doesn't come out of wardrobe very often, so it's always right. kind of a highlight when it. I think the, gosh, maybe the last time he wore it was when he apologized to the Centauri at the end of yeah. season two. Maybe I don't know. Maybe yeah, there might have been. A, yeah, they were out of Earth Force by uh, halfway through season. Not even halfway through season three. Yeah, it's through uh, the. Um, Severed Dreams. Gosh, I couldn't yeah. think of the name. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I just thought that was so funny that she's like telling him that, and he's just he's sitting there in his own homemade gift from aliens uniform. <laughs> which, by the way, I got. I'm, I may have said this in my notes later, but while I'm thinking about it, I, you know, I love the black uniform. I love the Army yeah. of Light uniform. You know, I own 
my right. own black Army of Light uniform with the vest. And I want to tell you, I love that vest. I actually asked them, make me the vest too. And I probably, I don't know how much I paid, but it's, le- it's leather with the, and I put the gold braid down the two sides and everything. I didn't take it at Dragon Con this year, but I, maybe I'll take it next year. Um, it just takes up a lot of my suitcase. Mostly that vest. Right. But, and it's not very comfortable to wear, honestly. Um, but, um, but, you know, I'd never seen that vest anywhere else, and I was always trying to figure out. I like how it looks. It looks good on Susan, too. Mm-hmm. But I was trying to figure out what it's supposed to be. Have you ever seen A Bridge Too Far? I have. Okay. There's a scene where um, one of the Fox brothers, those two British actors that are in everything like Force 10 from Navarone and Bridge Too Far, okay, he plays General Horrocks, the leader of the British Armored Cavalry Unit. And right. he comes up on stage, and he's wearing a brown leather British Army vest that looks just like that over his uniform. And I'm like, I guess that's like the I'm going into battle vest. I guess so. That's interesting. Yeah. I was like, I, that kind of reminds me of Sheridan's black vest thing that he wears. So that was cool. It, it has been forever since I've seen that movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Look, when you, If you watch it again, look for General Horrocks giving his briefing where he talks about... Uh, here's a story you'll tell your grandkids, and mightily bored they'll be. You know that whole that whole <laughs> bit there. That's he's wearing it in that scene. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh, I know that there was something that you were excited to see momentarily. When Delenn's White Star arrives at Earth near the end, there's an Explorer class ship in orbit. I saw that. I thought that was a cool touch because it, it gives you the the feeling that uh, of the size. Uh, I don't know. It was just. It was a cool thing to say, oh, look, there's another... Oh, wait, that's an explorer ship. That's really cool. Yeah. Because it's just really brief as it, as she pulls into orbit. It, you know, it, you never really see that in, like, Star Trek or something. When they pull into orbit, they're the only ship there. Yeah. Or when, in, in the Star Wars movies, you know, when they come in to land on a, on a planet, they just fly in and land on the planet. There's, you know, there's nothing else there. But when she, you know, when she was flying in, sure enough, parked off to the side in orbit, there was an explorer ship. That was pretty neat. I'm trying to think how many, you know, they're always named after conquistadors, which is horrible, by the way, but right. whatever. <laughs> there, We've seen like the Cortez, you know, and the Pizarro right. or whatever. Right. I wonder I was, I wonder if that was the Ponce de Leon. I mean, if it's there <laughs> looking for Florida. It's looking for the Fountain of Youth. That's oh, kind of what the Excalibur God. ends up doing. Oh, spoiler, spoiler, sorry. Let's see. All right, when Garibaldi and his men assault the uh, place where Elise is being held, I get where they use the little smoke bomb thing. It's like a shock bomb. That's cool. I get that they blast the door down. Yeah. But there's dudes coming down from the ceiling. They're repelling, yeah. But they're repelling from the ceiling like... No. This, or most of the Mars stuff is underground. So they are repelling down the air shafts. Okay. Because if you're down there, if you're in a bunker underground, you're expecting somebody to come through that main door, right? So you're, you're going to be prepared for that. But when the stuff starts going off, you turn around, and you're like, like in the, the, the opening of Star Wars. When they start buzzing through that door, yeah. all guns point to that. Well, then you bring the, your guys down through the air shafts, and boom. All yeah, there's, so Garibaldi was smarter than Darth Vader is what you're saying here. 
<laughs> I guess Darth Vader didn't really need to have because no. he had stormtroopers. Stormtroopers are a dime a dozen. They were a and dime were, a dozen in that scene. <laughs> were those were those um, guys that were helping Garibaldi? Were they Rangers? I don't know. Or mercenaries, or they looked like they were like wearing Ranger uniforms, and several of them had the the, yeah. the staffs. Oh, okay. Well, then probably so. You you know, you make a really good case for it. I still think it looked goofy as crap because they're coming down from like a 10-foot drop ceiling. (laughs) Just jump, man. You don't need to rappel down a rope from a 10-foot drop ceiling. Just jump. You're not going to die. They were being careful. They didn't want to, you know, <laughs> twist an ankle or blow out a knee or something like that. I mean, you got to take care of yourself as you age, man. Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. OSHA, OSHA rules and all that stuff. <laughs> that was it. OSHA rules in the 23rd century are a biatch. Absolutely. <laughs> all right. We get a creepy Lanier scene. What's up with the creepy Lanier scene? Oh, man. That scene was rough. Yeah. That was well, rough. I have an unanswered question about that, so I'll I'll put a put a bookmark there. We'll come back to that. Yeah, um, yeah, that that's one of my categories, I believe. Okay, um, force and resign. Oh yeah, if 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 Sheridan hadn't had this whole plan to basically take over the galaxy, I was sitting there wondering why didn't he just take over Earth. I mean, I know he's not there as an evil conqueror, but everybody thinks he is, and he had the ability to be. He could have just walked in and taken over. Instead, he takes a, he he eliminates Clark, and then like hands himself over to the government and to Lachinko. And she's like, "Well, here I have you now, Sheridan. Let me decide what I'm going to do with you." Ha ha ha! And I'm like, "Lady, he could have conquered the whole planet." Right, but that's not in his character. He I was know. still doing his duty. Yeah. And it completely it completely legitimized the action that he took and it completely deflated any any uh any criticisms of this in the future. That's true. I mean, and she, down- and she, she had to treat harshly with him for public consumption if nothing else so that she doesn't seem like she's collaborating with him. Right. Exactly. To the to all the alien government freakos out there. You know there's a bunch of them. Right. And I think the punishment she was giving him of kicking him out of Earth Force, I think she knew in the back of her mind that that wasn't really that much of a punishment for him. Yeah. Yeah. She she, was still ticked off, though, and so was the general. Right. The general was legitimately ticked off because he, he saw, you know, Sheridan as like a traitor. But... When he was made president of the the alliance, he towed the line real quick. That's true. Yeah, even opened the door for him. That was funny. Right. I still think Sheridan should have just taken over Earth. Um, oh, what the heck, man! Giant fleet of white stars flying over Earth dome, flagrantly violating sovereign airspace. <laughs> And immediately followed by Delenn saying, they come in peace. I just right. fell on the floor laughing. When Delenn says they came in peace, I'm like, well, you better hope so. Because, <laughs> again, she's just demonstrating that the Minbari could have conquered this planet twice. Right. Twice. And if you think about it, they are having a, in Earth Dome, a high-level, you know, gathering with not just the president of the Earth, but also... Uh, 
high-ranking ambassadors from three major alien races there, yep. and suddenly you have dozens of of unknown ships violating airspace. They're lucky that the the air defenses of Earth Dome didn't start shooting at them. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, it was like holy crap. It would were they all asleep at their switches? Like, oh, I I guess the war's over. We don't have to pay attention to that anymore. I mean, <laughs> no geez, doubt. Man, we, People freak out if you fly a drone over the White House now. Can oh, you imagine no flying a whole fleet of, of attack ships over Earth? No. Good <laughs> Lord. Yeah, that, that that made me like cringe, too. I'm like, oh, geez. I mean, it's a different world now than what it was back then. Yeah. You know, we're a little bit yeah. more trigger trigger happy these days than we That's were back fair. then. But uh, still, that was, that was a big-time security fa- failure on Earth Dome defenses. <laughs> I, I think it was a wake-up call if the Minbari War and then Sheridan's forces arriving weren't. This is the third time right. that Earth was totally powerless to stop an alien fleet from coming rolling in. Yep. We're Honestly, by 2263, Earth is just lucky to be there still. Right. Yeah, and that came across as Delenn almost rubbing their noses in it. Yes, yes. I'm sure that's not how JMS intended it, but holy crap, that's what no. it came across like. Yeah, yes, not only did right. we stomp your butts and <laughs> kill your president, but here, we could do this to you, too. Yeah. Any buildings that are still standing as now that we've hypersonically flown over your capital. <laughs> uh, yeah. Holy crap. All right. And you notice that that happened right when she was offering them the opportunity to join the alliance. <laughs> or... The alliance. Or, look, we have a fleet of White Stars ready to level any city around here. Good thing they didn't name them. Right, it seemed a little heavy-handed. It did. It's a good thing they weren't the Black Stars, you know, because that was the one that really threatened the humans and would scare them to death. That's like Teddy Roosevelt sailing the White Fleet around the world and saying, people are like, oh, you're sending the big, scary U.S. Navy in our harbor. And and Roosevelt's, yeah, but they're painted white, so it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they're white stars, so it's okay. It's okay, Andy. They're, they're white stars. White, they're white battleships. So Yes, that's right. Uh, and from the sublime to the ridiculous, I love that both Sheridan and Garibaldi conclude this episode in bed with the women they love. That's pretty funny this and kind of cool. Poor Franklin didn't get any action. but <laughs> he, had the, he had basically the first two seasons to get his right. action in. I, you know, I was I was almost surprised that when, you know, that scene with Ivanova, after she, you know, opened up to him and spared her raw emotions, <laughs> that he didn't say, hey. Oh, no. No. Hook up? <laughs> no. Oh, God. I was afraid you were going to go there. But that's <laughs> fair, though. You're, you're playing fair. I can't complain. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. But, no, he... Steven, as much as we love him, he he's creeped us out just like Lanier did in this episode, which we'll right, get to. Right. Um, I do think we saw Sheridan sliding down the diagonal bed there at the end, didn't we? Yes, we did. That was really funny. <laughs> My wife was like, what is he doing? Why is he climbing around? And I was like, no, honey, that bed is not flat. <laughs> no, he hates it. Right. Uh, there's a, there's a JMS a funny touch. There's a JMS quote about that I'll get to in just a second. All right, unanswered right. questions real quick. Uh, who owns Babylon 5 now? Who's in command? Is it still Corwin? Is it Major Atumbe? <laughs> I know where you were going. I know where you were going. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I found a new actor for Atumbe, by the way, since oh. Gaffet Kodo is no longer with us. Yeah, yeah. The guy from, uh, I forget his name now. I should have written it down. But the guy from, um, um, oh, geez, Louise. The, the the TV show about the cop Law and Order. He played the the the, 
the chief detective. Was that Andre Brower? What's his name? Was that Andre Brower, or am I thinking about somebody else? No, no, it wasn't. It was. Uh, he has a mustache. I don't know. And a little, you know, a little goatee. I'll, I'll think of his name oh, in a minute. But. I know somebody that would be good. Um, I can't think of his name either, but he's the uh, the hotel manager from uh, the John Wick movies. Oh yeah, but he and, passed away too. Oh, Lance Riddick. He passed away. Yeah, he did. Oh crap! I didn't realize Lance Riddick passed away. I like him. He, he was in Bosch. Yeah, he passed away not too long ago. Yeah, he was in all the seasons of Bosch. He was really good as the police detective, chief detective. Jesse Martin. Oh, okay. All right. He played he played uh, Detective Ed Green. Okay, cool. Look him up. You'll you'll recognize him if you see him. He, he'd sure. be perfect for him. Good deal. But anyway, um, to answer your question, I, I'm not sure legally. I mean, would Earth still possess it? I mean they they declared they declared their independence from Babylon Five, and one of the stipulations that um, shared or that. Sheridan put into the the agreement was that all Earth colonies that declare their independence get to be independent now. So that's I right. Would think that legally Babylon Five would be its own entity. But th- you're right. But on the other hand, didn't Sheridan say we will remain an independent state until President Clark is removed from office? Right, but that was before he added that stipulation into the. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Interesting. He's it's poli- an interesting question. He's a politician too. Yeah, it's an interesting question, though, just because we know what's coming up next season. I guess we could think about that in spoiler space, too. So the question is kind of answered, uh, at least in terms of who's managing it. I still don't know who owns it. Right. Um, Now, I I have an unanswered question. Yes. This interstellar alliance with their White Star fleet saying that, you know, we'll go around and, and patrol everybody's borders and stuff like that, isn't that kind of like the interstellar version of Pax Romana bringing well, the, the bringing our version of peace with our warships to your borders and you better join up or else yes but there's not really an empire there's a group that's together forming a coalition that has this military and the military is not under anybody's specific command except for the the I guess the the the, the the now the well the the one so it'd be Delenn and and Sheridan and 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 whoever Ranger whoever Ranger one is, and they're kind of separate from the Minbari or anybody else. It's kind of weird. I mean, it's a really good question. I'm trying to I'm trying to figure that out myself because they're not able to intervene in other um, right. They don't intervene in other people's business. They're not going to go inside borders. They would interfere in like right. a civil war, for example. Um, I don't know. That's that'd be a whole other episode where you could talk about the politics of Babylon five and right, exactly right. who's that'd be a good panel at dragon con too. I would be up for that. Ooh, that would be cool. Um, I have a question, another, another unanswered question. Um, president Luchenko says that the league of non-aligned worlds is, is, wants to address the gathering. There are no members there from the league of non-aligned worlds. There's a Centauri, a Narn, a Minbari, None of them, they're all like the major powers. There's no non-aligned, right. no like a Drazi there. There's not like a right. game there. What, what's she talking about? I think to her, all those little alien people are the same. That's the Babylon 5 Advisory Council the members right. that are there, not the, uh, not the League. I don't know. Could you imagine if they if they had a, a Drazi address? Oh, my gosh. I want, I want that so much now. I want, I want like... 
but before the three major powers address us, I'm sorry. Let me. Let me. All right, I got to do Luchinko. I, I don't know if I can do. Before the three major powers address us, we have a member of the non-aligned worlds. Drazi, very happy to see our buddy, I mean enemy Clark, die. Drazi, happy to take over control of Earth now if humans, if humans not up to it. I don't know. I just love the Drazi so much because yeah. they're so corny. Or, they're just... or a Pachmara. Get a Pachmara out there to address them. That <laughs> they can't been... say anything. They can't talk. <laughs> yeah. They could do some opera. There's some song for us. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Okay, we gotta we gotta address the Susan thing. So yes. here's how I understand it. Correct me if I'm wrong. So when they filmed this episode, they didn't originally know Claudia was going to leave. Correct. After this season, spoiler: Susan Claudia Christian leaves the show after 4:22. Period. Now they didn't know that when they filmed 4:21. JMS was doing his usual leaving trap doors so that people that aren't dead can still leave the show, like Sinclair after season one, for example. Right. Or Garibaldi after season one. Um, Okay. So they have Susan standing there looking out the window, and the voiceover is saying that she has been offered the captain. She's been promoted to captain and offered command of a warlock. On like a shakedown. Um, originally, it was she was offered it. They they filmed it originally as she was going to decide. Did she want to like stay on Babylon Five, which I would assume means she would replace Sheridan as the commander, right? Or would she go off, and get away for for a while, and go do the warlock thing? Right. I think the only change that they made was when they found out that there was going to be a season five and she wasn't coming back, they changed it to she has decided to go on the Warlock. That could be. But a shakedown cruise isn't necessarily a long cruise. Right. It's just it's just to work out the kinks and make sure the boats float and, and everybody yeah. can work together as a team. So shakedown cruises usually aren't, you know, the long five-year mission type deal. They could have brought her back two or three episodes into season five. And that would have been cool, too. Yeah, the shakedown cruise is over. She's coming back. She's taking control of the station. You know, they could have had two or three episodes where, you know, they weren't sure, you know, where they would do the drama of who's going to take Mm -hmm. over and and all this stuff. That would have been fun. Yeah, have that be a plot oh, element. Oh, have Corwin running around like she used to, all <laughs> frazzled, screaming at people in elevators and stuff. That would have been awesome. Or have, you know, uh, Major Artumbe measuring her quarters for his desk or something God, like that. yes, and she walks in, and he's like, dang it! <laughs> it was my big chance to see the light of day! <laughs> oh, man. We need to change this to the Major Atumbe podcast. Right. By the way, he's Major Atumbe, which opens up a whole other can of worms that they do have majors. Right. That's a good point. What the heck, man? Where, where does a major fit in the t- chain of command under a captain? It's probably the equivalent of an ensign. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just can't stand it, JMS. But, uh, but my point I kind of is... Because right. there wasn't going to be a season five anyway when they wrote filmed this episode, they could have really said anything about Susan, and it would have ma- wouldn't have mattered. 
because you had just caught her in sleeping in light and said, and here's what she did, you know, which is kind of right. what they do anyway. So, right. so yeah, it didn't really matter unless there's a season five. Once they got a season five, suddenly we need to know if she's going to be there or not, and then you got to readjust. So, right. all right, there you right. go. Now, uh, the telepath war gets mentioned here in the Sheridan-Bester conversation. It does, yes. And Isn't it, that it, interesting? Right, yeah. and it Right. It the way it's mentioned, it's going to be a, a huge thing coming down the line. And, you know, are we got are we ever going to see it? It's been talked right. about forever. When there was talk that JMS would do a theatrical Babylon Five movie, and remember, the rights that he gave to Warner do not include a no. theatrical movie. JMS, right. if if he'd had the money, JMS could have done theatrical movies of Babylon Five for the last thirty years. Right. But he didn't. He couldn't. But um, that was always the talk. I've always thought that was that was very too easy of a target, but too specific and narrow to make a good subject for a big movie. You know, it's like it's like if you did a Star Trek movie just about Deanna Troy and her empath powers and something, and like some other. It just it to me it was too specific to make a whole big movie out of. So I'm wondering, are we ever going to see the telepath war? I don't know. I, I, I have to disagree with you a little bit. I think it was a big enough element in in the, the future history of Babylon 5 that I think they could have made a really epic movie out of that. Okay. Well, they what about have, it? They would have they had to have gone about it a lot differently than you know they, they went about it in Season 5 or went yeah. about dancing around it in Season 5. One would hope. Right. What about, what about one of the animated movies, if they do more of those? I would love to see that. I would love to see that. I, I love. I love how JMS left that completely wide open. And it, anything they could do, anything in those, and it would be cool. Yeah. Because it was basically a, a, a reboot of the the series, and they can do. They can go anywhere with that story. It's true. So yeah, it's, I think that well, would be cool. Speaking of the telepath war, and again, avoiding specific spoilers, we I think we know maybe three or four specific things that came out of the telepath war, and that's all. And the, really, the only reason we even know those is because a crusade mentions a couple of things, and the books mention a couple of things, and that's it. Right. We know a couple of people die in it. We know that the rules get changed a little bit from crusade, right? Right. And so, but that's really all we know that happened. Right. And we know who won. Yeah. So that's about it. All right. Or more importantly, who lost. Yes. Yes. Um, oh, what if one of the animated movies was the rest of the Crusade story? That would be cool. I don't. I, JMS is super bitter about that. He is. He's never going to do have, anything. I, I think you've had experience with that. And I'm not sure if, he's, if he has the rights to that. Oh, God. He's never going to so, do yeah. any more Crusade. I just no. need to give it up. Just go read my alternate universe fan fiction, Dark Crusade. You know, I, I saw the coolest quote about fan fiction just today. Somebody said, how, how did they put it? Fan fiction is the uh, um, modern mythology put into the hands of the people rather than left in the hands of the corporate overlords that currently control it. So, you know, mythology has always been a popular thing. It's always been a, a, a the mass public, public the peop- thing. The people, right. yeah. So, like, like Arthurian mythology, 
so many different cultures had their hands of, of contributing to Arthurian mythology. I mean, you got the French and, and the, the British and just oh, just a whole mess. Even some Ukrainian stories and stuff like that are all, all mixed into to that mythology. These days, modern mythology is controlled by corporations. You have the Marvel mythology. I mean, that, that is essentially modern mythology. Marvel, Star Trek, Star Wars, that type of thing is modern popular mythology. And the people can't affect that or change that or add to that at all like they used to, you know, in the centuries leading up to now, except through fan fiction. So fan That's fiction true. is really the popular cultural contribution to modern mythology. I, th- I thought that was really cool. It, it, it made fan fiction seem more legitimate than what a lot of people see it as. These and days. important and necessary. And, right. And, and necessary. That is the exact word I was thinking of. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I think, yeah. Hey, I famously cut my teeth writing fan fiction, both right. Babylon Five fan fiction with the Dark Crusade stuff, which is still on the internet. Yeah, and, I, um, I have a link to it saved in my 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 browser. Window. There's not a lot there, but it was mostly just ideas. Right. Um, and then I created the MV1, the Marvel Volume One universe for the on the Avengers website, and a lot of people used to write for that and contribute to it. it. That thing got huge for a while. It may all be gone now. Some of the stuff I wrote is still up at AvengersAssemble.net, but I wrote I wrote Iron Man stories, I wrote Captain Marvel stories, I wrote some Avengers stories for a while. Yeah. Uh, we had like ongoing issues on there of it of all those series. It was pretty cool, and it was just it was good. It was good to be able to write and get an audience. To, to react to you and learn, you know, because I write professionally now and just like you do, and I had to learn how to do that. You know, it was one of those things where you, it was good to have an audience as you learn right. to, to point things out and everything. So. Absolutely. I, I, I consider myself more semi-pro in my race. <laughs> I like I'm minor league. Oh, no, I'm, um, all right, let's see. JMS speaks. Just a few things he said that's going to respond to some of the things we've been talking about. Uh, somebody said to him, if this had been it, I would have walked away with a great big smile and a full heart. And JMS says, exactly. It doesn't end the story. As people kept saying, oh, the arc is being finished in year four. It provides a sense of resolution, which is different altogether and leaves plenty of room for other planned stuff. I'm going to take issue and say I don't think a lot of the stuff that happens in, plan- in season five was planned. No. Yeah. I, <laughs> we'll see. 100%. Rebone Zooty, maybe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Zoot, zoot. They got a mention in this episode, too, they, from Bester, no less. They did get a Rebo and Zooty name check, yes. He just, he just will not let that go. Um, no. Uh, Beata Pozniak was born in Gdansk, Poland, but the accent is her own. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, JMS is Eastern European Russian, I think. If, if, right. I, Remember from I know his he book. has Russian ancestry, yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. A little bit about Marcus. Basically, if we if we let Ivanova survive and then let Marcus get bailed out too, it becomes a double cheat, and that's not fair to do to the audience. Yep. Um, if you follow the threads, JMS says, you can pick up on where things are going. It's something I learned on Murder, She Wrote, where at the end, when the killer's been revealed, you should be able to go back, 
back up the tape, watch it again, and this time see all the little bits that point to, to his or her identity. It's basically about playing fair with the audience. So in other words, we should have known Marcus was going to do that. And I think we kind of suspected it. We, I don't yeah. think anybody was shocked when that was right. revealed that he was going right. to save her life that way. Yeah, absolutely. The only thing I was shocked by is he didn't recruit six or seven other people to help him so that it didn't kill him. <laughs> but we've talked about that. You know, that, that's interesting you mentioned this because that's exactly how I write. I start with an, the, the final scene, the, the big climactic scene, and then I okay. write backwards. Yeah. I outline backwards from there. So I, I, I can make sure I have all the pieces necessary in place in the places they need to be. That's good. I, I could write a short story that way. For a longer work, and I tend to do longer works. I don't really do short stories that much. I tend to start with a bunch of characters and a premise and then I kind of get an idea of where it's going, and then I kind of let them take me there in a logical fashion. But it's kind of similar to what you're talking about, yeah. Yeah. Um, Marcus, JMS says, Marcus was a martyr waiting to happen. Looking for something worth throwing his life away on because he could find little worth on his own. Absolutely. And that came across when we first met the character. I mean, when he was giving, I forget who, I think... I forget who it was he was talking to. Maybe Stephen when he was talking about his brother and yeah, and how he he felt like he you know he should have died with them and all that stuff. So yeah, he it, it, he was absolutely he he almost walked onto the, you know the stage on his first appearance and said, "Hey, I'm going to kill myself for one of you people." Yeah, and then we very quickly realized exactly who it was going to be. Too. Right, <laughs> it didn't take long to figure no that out. All right, quick question. Now that this yep. is all kind of done, Ivanova and Marcus. Did you yes. ever see them? Did they ever make sense to you as a couple if she'd been into it? That's a good question. I think because of the whole opposites attract, and I think they would have made a very odd couple yeah. in, a, in a cool way. And I think Ivanova's brilliant scene in this episode really gave us how she felt on the situation and she was more into the relationship than she had led on and she gave her reasons why she reacted she to that she did so i i think that i think they would have made a brilliant couple i think that would have been a lot of fun to to see you know the writers explore that that whole relationship i think that would have been great a lot of potential for it, humor and drama and and all that stuff Romance, i don't disagree i don't disagree they just never worked for me yeah I don't disagree, I but I completely disagree with you, Andy. <laughs> <laughs> I just—they never had the chemistry to me. Uh, from his side, yes, but not from her side. Um, and, and that's how the actress was playing it because yeah. she was very much not wanting there to be any chemistry there. The the, the character she was trying to yeah. put the kibosh on on any chemistry. So I, I think that was more of a Ivanova and Claudia Christian playing the character the way she thought Ivanova would. I think there there could have been a lot of chemistry there. Well, we'll never know, but it's an interesting idea. Right, right. yeah. Um, why did Lanier tell Delenn what Ivanova said is a question that was asked. And JMS says, because Lanier is quite familiar with the concept of unrequited love and because hope burns eternal, which is probably the most damnable part of unrequited love. All right, here is That's my thing. Foreshadowing. Hmm? That's called foreshadowing. Oh, I know. Here's my thing. I never bought for a second the idea that what Susan and Stephen privately said to each other immediately got out across the station and everybody was talking about right. it. Cause, cause Lanier says, do you think like what it's, do you think, do you believe what, what, uh, Ivanova said there at the end? And I'm like, well, a, it wasn't the end cause she didn't die. 
and I don't know what you mean by at the end. The whole thing just puzzled me. Yeah. Yeah, he wasn't in that. He wasn't part of that conversation. He wasn't there, and it wasn't the end. Right. Like, if Susan had immediately died and there had been ten people in the room, I'd be like, oh, yeah. But that doesn't... Well... It doesn't track for me. Maybe maybe he meant... Did, did you... Do you agree with what she said at the end of the last scene that they filmed? <laughs> okay. I, I really... It just didn't, it just didn't track. The fourth wall there. Yeah. Yeah, I, really. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think of it until you just now ma- mentioned it. But, yeah, he wasn't there. He would not have known at all what would... Unless, you know, he was having beers with, with Franklin afterwards. And yeah. I don't know. Yeah, um, yeah. JMS says that they changed the one line about uh, Ivanova to say that she was going to go on the warlock. Um, everything's wrapped up now, they asked JMS. What's left to do in season five? And he says, things that could show up, leaving in some ambiguity just to keep surprises. Here are things JMS suggests we might see in season five. This is funny to hear this with the retrospect some of us have. But I'm not going to put this behind the... I'm not going to put this on the other side of the jump gate because he said this before season five ever even was filmed, okay, to the public. I will avoid making any comments on it. Exactly. Here's some things that could happen in season five. The start of the telepath war. The start of the Drock war. Londo's fate on Centauri Prime. The first year trying to make the Interstellar Alliance work. Interfaction fighting among Alliance members. The development of Mars as an independent state. Uh, the legacy of William Edgar's black projects fallout from the civil war and the feelings about it how Lanier, Sheridan and Delenn will get along now <laughs> okay yeah that's uh, that I need the three, well. three's company song <laughs> come and knock on my quarters we've been waiting for you <laughs> oh boy and then he said, oh, yeah, that was it. He says, how's that just for starters? Well, we do see so, some of those, and some of those we don't. Or, yeah. He didn't mention uh, uh, Jakar's uh, future as an illicit porn peddler. <laughs> and did he have a recorder in his eye? Yeah. Is there a VCR connected up to that? That yeah, was really. super creepy. Super, like, there's super a lot of creepy. There was a lot of creepiness on this. This is like on a yeah. very creepy episode of Babylon 5. <laughs> But yet, I totally believe it about Jakar. That's yeah, the funny well, thing yeah. about it. Because that, that has popped up repeatedly. Jakar is definitely a, um, a, a enthusiast about the carnal skills and, and stuff like that. So. <laughs> yeah, and, and not above leaving his eyeball where it will do him some good. <laughs> All right, JMS <laughs> says... Weird. Yeah, really. JMS says the Rangers are an independent authority answering only to Delenn and Sheridan and the members of the Alliance Council and Advisory Board in roughly descending order. Their jurisdiction is exclusively in interplanetary situations between various member races. Each member race has the sovereign authority to govern its people in its own way. The closest comparison is that overall, the states are free to enact their own laws, but the U.S. government has sole claim over international matters. Except here, the states would have far more autonomy than is currently the rule, more like pre-Civil War America. Right. Uh, and then finally, uh, yeah, we mentioned the slanting bed. All right, that gets us to the categories. You ready? I am. Cool. A quick question: Could that, would the the current state of the European Union be a good uh, parallel or good? Yeah, 
if the yeah. if the European Union had a military that was non not affiliated with any one state or any one right. member, then Maybe yeah, NATO. Yeah, yeah. You know what? NATO might be a good example there. The EU versus NATO. Yeah, if it right. was or NATO. Yeah, I think that's probably your good answer right there. All right. Yeah. Yes, I'm. Right. Re- I'm ready for the categories. All right. High point of this episode. Uh, for me, it was when Sheridan was made president of the Interstellar Alliance. I thought that was brilliant. It was. It was Love a great it. political play. So that was fun to watch play out. But it also was the culmination of his story arc. It was a culmination of of the the the, the whole main story arc of Babylon Five. I mean, it was. It brought all the worlds together, and it, it paid off a lot of stuff that was laid out in the entire series. So I thought that was a really super cool moment. Yeah. No, I agree. I think overall, for me, Sheridan in this episode as the rising star, right. I think, is the, uh, is the great high point. But the specific high point for me was Claudia Christian's performance with Franklin at the very beginning. Yep. That's that just was- hard to touch. I, I I have that one for a, a different category, yeah. but yeah. Oh, I do too. That she was. I mean, Babylon Five gets banged on a lot for having you know uh, um, daytime TV actors and, and yep. you know former yep. financial you know <laughs> Wall Street people and, and stuff like that, and they 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 get looked down on. But yeah. man, did she pull out a performance in in that episode? I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. One of the best in the series for any character or any actress or actor. I, I thought it was just absolutely powerful, phenomenal, and so raw emotionally. I mean, she really, she dug in deep somewhere and, and got some some real true uh, emotion that she was channeling there. I thought that was just an amazing performance. It really was. No, absolutely Cause it, right. Because it could have been so hokey and so overdone and so bad in, in the hands of a lesser actress. But she made oh, yeah. it real and, and she made it uh, believable and powerful. I thought it was great. Oh, yeah. What was your low point? Low point for me was uh, when um, Delenn looked at Lanier and said, he followed the path of his heart, trying to, you know, trying to, trying to soothe his, his emotions and stuff like that when really it, it did the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah. And I thought that was, because you could see just on his face, he, it, something clicked and he made a decision right then and there. So, yeah, that, that was a low Eek. point. Eek. Yeah. Yep. Eek is right. My low point was Claudia Christian's performance with Franklin at the beginning. <laughs> it was both the high point and the low point. Emotional ter- low point, I hope. Emotional, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because it was, the, it was the high point in how you just described it. Right. And it was the low point, and it was like as miserable as I've ever been in the entire series just in terms of right. that character, yeah. So right. it is both. It is a rare moment where where you get both in the same scene for me, yeah. Right. All right. Most Babylon 5 scene? Uh, the new alliance, the new interstellar alliance, when that was announced. Because, again, that was that was such a huge moment in bringing together so much of the – so many of the threads that have been woven throughout the, the entire series together into one, you know, final glo- – not even global, but interstellar um, government. I thought that was really super cool. That was very, very much a Babylon 5 because you had all three of the major races there. You know, they were all involved. All three of the, the main characters, the main alien characters were involved. Um, and it involved, you know, uh, Earth as well, and, and it resolved a lot. So I thought that was that was very, very much a Babylon 5 moment. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Um, my, we we talked about it before in a funny way, but I thought the most Babylon Five scene was the White Star Fleet roaring over <laughs> Earth Dome as Delenn tells him that you're now in the Interstellar Alliance, whether you like it or not. Basically, right. well, she doesn't, but she makes it right. clear that she would. It would be, it would go much better for you if you were to join our little organization. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but I gotta say though, the confrontation between Sheridan and Bester, we've we've touched on it a little bit, but it really yeah. was a very Babylon Five scene and a, and a high Absolutely. point of the episode as well. Yep, definitely for sure. I mean, there was a lot. There was a lot that could fit any of these categories. So the o- the only time Sheridan and Bester have had a better confrontation than that was the time that Bester said, "I could take you and do this and do that," and Sheridan says, "You could do that." And I could nail your head to the table, set fire to it, and feed the charred remains to Pac Marah, but we don't always get what we want. <laughs> That's the only... I love that speech so much. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was such a great, great confrontation between the two of them. You know, right, the, Pac your... get, the Pac Marah really get dragged through the mud, <laughs> but... They don't know that they're the ones behind the, the second shift shadow war that's going on with Major Atumbe. Oh, that's right. Yeah. I forgot that they have that going on. Yes. <laughs> All right. What's your favorite character moment? Favorite character moment was Ivanova at the beginning. I thought that was just yeah. It, it showed so much of her character, you know. Mm. So it's it, it was a perfectly a, a, a logical. I mean, everything she said was so Ivanova, but it, at the same time, she was so emotional. It was a side of Ivanova we've never seen before. So it was just an awesome character moment. I thought. I love that she admits that she knew all along how he felt right. and he she was just didn't want to deal with it. Right. I agree. I agree. I could have at least boffed him one time. <laughs> that was another one of my categories. Okay. You know, she wasn't even that emotional when she was sitting Shiva for her, her father. No. I mean she was this way and and oh man, this was just when uh when Talia you know, went away. She was a little bit emotional, but nothing like this. I mean, yeah. this was some serious emotion. Because she knew what he had done for her and how she felt right. about him, and it was really an unconditional love that he had for her too. Yeah, and it's right. And she just she never, never experienced before. She willfully ignored it and rejected yep. it, and then she realized what she had done, and it's just tough. It's just tough. Yep. Um, my favorite character moment was when Sheridan said to Bester, Death, been there, done that. <laughs> I lo- Whenever that Sheridan was- plays the I died card, I always right. stand up and cheer. Right. Twice. I've done it twice. So, yeah. you know, you got to come up with something new, buddy. I thought yeah. that was great. I love it. That was I love him being, it. Being, being a badass without being boastful. Yeah, yeah. All right. This episode had a surprising number of funny moments. What was your favorite funniest moment? At least I should have boffed him just once. Yeah. <laughs> that that made me laugh out loud. I thought that was good. All right. My funniest moment was when, with early at the beginning, Londo offers to help Jakar with his little problem. <laughs> you notice when he's, when he's walking away and he looks at me and goes, I can help you with your little problem. And he's, and he's pointing at his sides. Yes. Right. right. <laughs> he's not. Yes. That's, that was very well done. I wonder who caught right. that. Was, it, was that in the script? I bet it had to have been the script. It had to have been JMS in the script, right? Although Peter. Be, I don't know. Peter was really into the character. So yeah. Peter may have. Peter may have known that. Do, did Tony Dow stop and go, wait, Peter, what are you doing? And he's like, all right. It's still in character just because it wouldn't be funny otherwise. Right. Peter's like, now, Tony, you got to understand. This is where we keep them. 
and this is not the first time he's done that when mentioning his, yeah. his when, when when alluding to his, his genitalia. This, that is this true. Is, yeah. Oh man, for that alone, Londo ought to win the episode. But who won the? Oh 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 wow. Okay. Yeah. Who won this episode? Woo! It's a tough. I I have written down two words. Everyone except dot dot dot. <laughs> Because everyone won this. I mean, every, even Vester, you know? Yeah. The, the oh, yeah. Earth Gov, the, all, every League of Non-Aligned Worlds, the, the Narn, the Centauri, the Minvari, even uh, Londo and, and Jakar were, are forging a new friendship. I mean, everybody except one person won this, won this episode. If this had been the next-to-last episode we ever saw, the yep. series would have ended with us thinking that Londo and Jakar were, like, just hanging out Best, best pals. Yep. yep, swapping Jovian sunspots in the Zoka. <laughs> yes. Oh, that's so good to hear the Jovian sunspot come back. <laughs> nice reference. I put down Sheridan and Delenn, Garibaldi and Lee, Londo and Jakar, everyone who served under Sheridan in the Army of Light and got a pardon. Yep. Bester found out his lover is safe, though not normal again, and he really didn't suffer any negative effects from his confrontation with Sheridan. Although I recommend the Greg Keys novels that we're going to get to later to um, for more about that. Um, who lost this episode? Uh, Susan. She was the exception. Yeah. I mean, she was... By living, though, so it's not a complete loss. Yeah, yeah but, I mean, man, she was devastated to the point where she left Babylon 5, which so... she was the heart and soul of, so... Did we say Marcus last episode then? Is this why we're not saying Marcus oh, yeah. lost? Because I'm thinking Marcus is, a, is lost here. I, I think I think we used that last episode. I'm not sure if he could die twice. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know even I, you know, know if you're going to say I, he lost. Last episode, I, I, I had Marcus winning because yeah. he had to sacrifice himself. So. I, that's the thing is, is he lost. He lost his life, more or less, we can debate. But, but, he's, right. but he got what he wanted. So. Right. All right, who lost this episode? I've got Max. <laughs> He's definitely <laughs> lost. Yeah. Uh, supporters of Clark that wanted Sheridan punished and thrown in the gutter instead have to see him become president of the galaxy. So, ah. Right. Yeah. I, I, that, that's legit. And, um, oh, and I had a little note here. I have another Dragon Con story. I think I probably told this before, but it fits in here because this is where it happens, right? This is where Sheridan and Delenn become the leaders of the galaxy. And I've said before, when I got to moderate for them at Dragon Con in 2012, the first thing I said to the whole big crowd, I said, I was not this excited. If it, I wouldn't be this excited if it was Barack and Michelle. It was 2012. I wouldn't be right. this excited. And they were like, what? They looked at me like I'm crazy. And I said, that's because they're the president and first lady of the United States. You're the president and first lady. And they looked at each other grinning then of the <laughs> galaxy. And they're like, they raised their arms up in victory. And, share, and, uh, share, and Bruce Boxleitner says, I accept your nomination. <laughs> <laughs> and that video is on YouTube, so you can go see exact. You can see me with them, and and I say that to them, and you can see their reaction. It's pretty funny. I'll have to look that one up. That's cool. Um, I'm not. Yeah, I have a note here. I'm not sure how to describe what happened to Ivanova in terms of winning and losing. She won because she lives, but she lost because she wasn't happy about it, or how it happened. She's very much in a very gray area, and it's kind of a sad thing. And the short story does not help. Right. Yeah. Which we'll talk about right. later. There are issues there. Yes. All right. What's your rating? 
<sighs> so, like you mentioned earlier, there wasn't really an A plot, B plot, C plot type deal. So it was hard to, to judge this one based on your typical TV episode or even a typical Babylon 5 episode. Absolutely. But because of everything that was wrapped up, all the plot lines that were brought together, and, and the way that they did it, you know, they did it masterfully, I thought, and the performance is the performances everybody gave were were brilliant. I, I gave this one a four point five. Wow. A four point five from an episode that you you came into this saying it wasn't one of your big favorite episodes. Right. I, I was I was I, I never said I didn't like it. But it impressed me more than I thought it did. Because I was thinking back, oh, that's the one where Sheridan becomes president and they deal with the legalities of what he did. And Marcus died. Okay. Not a whole lot going on there. But I was super impressed with the execution of everything. Yes. And it, it, if this had been the last episode, good golly, it was a perfect series finale. I mean, yes. everything changed. But everybody, you know, it was a logical change. It wasn't sudden or unexpected. You know, everything changed, but it, it, everything moved forward in, in, a, in a great, interesting way. But they still left it open for, hey, what if we come back to this and revisit this? So, I, I for me, that, uh, that it, it was, I enjoyed it immensely. So that, that I think, was a legit 4.5. Wow. Kosh is impressed. I surprised Kosh. I gave this episode a 4.5. Look at that. So Very we have cool. the same same number. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Alright. We gotta thank the patrons. And then we got a couple more things to go after this. We got a few patron comments, but I want to thank the patrons. If you want to help support our program and keep it going, go to www.b5review.com, b5review.com, or just go to patreon.com and log in and then look for the white rocket reviews i think it's white rocket reviews and join up and we appreciate it very much you get to, usually you get to hear the episodes a little bit early that's not going to happen very much this episode because i i had a big medical procedure thing right square in the middle of when andy and i usually record these episodes and so we're a couple of days late it'll be perfectly on time for the mass public that listens but the patrons only get it a day early and i apologize to the patrons for that but i had to go to the hospital and it was a big long ordeal that took like two days so uh only on sunday have andy and i've been able to get together and it's, it's entirely my fault um but here are the great folks who are currently propping this show up on their shoulders and we thank them so much Allison Rich, Leah G, Rich Hammett, Ben, Massive Geek Cred Rose, Debbie No Spoilers Norris, and you can put whatever name you like in your name thing there, and that's what I'll read. Dragon Condolin, Emma Jane Alexander, Emmanuel Seaman, Jalja, Mondo Six, Michael O'Connor, Middle Age Geek Tim, Pete trying to come up with a Dragon Con joke, Furman. <laughs> um, Steve Palmer, Stu Parker, The Geek Boy, Una Vez and Una Luna Azul, Comrade Sheridan, Drazi Green, Drazi Green, Heather and Yancey Steingraber, Ice Cream Clone with the Boba Fett head, and Michael Halbrook. We thank you folks all so much. And yeah, I think so. At least that's a new one. Yeah, I think so. A new name, anyway. Uh, we have yeah, a few. 
We have a few I patron love, comments. Yeah, Let me get. I'm sorry. No, go I ahead. I love the name. Yeah, I love the name, and the 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 um, Patreon comments is is quickly becoming my favorite segment of this show. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, let's see. I always have to scroll back to figure out where it starts. Right. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, ben Massey Geek Cred Rose says, The Road Home would make for a great patron watch party. Sign me up. Uh, and he says, the two decimal places on the P5 rating is a result of many people giving different ratings, even if all of them are whole numbers. Three nines and a 10 produce an average of 9.25. And just three ratings would produce an average with an infinite decimal. So there you go. Yeah. It should be noted that neither Van nor myself are uh, mathematicians. So no. That, that did not even occur to us. <laughs> not at all. No, I'm just stupid. Allison. <laughs> Allison says, well, we have finally arrived at Endgame. Along with Severed Dreams Trilogy, this is one of my favorite episodes. She says, Lita yet again goes above and beyond, and Sharon owes her a giant debt of gratitude. He couldn't have accomplished any of what he's managed to do without her. I say amen, and yet, and yet, and yet. Obviously, in season five, she'll get that payout from him. He will show all of his, his love and respect and gratitude for her. Don't right. hold your breath. <laughs> God, it's one of the things that drives me crazy about what happens after this. Yeah. Uh, she says, number two, General Leftcourt is an old school soldier. That was the commander of the ship that was squaring off with Sheridan in Endgame. Yep. As we have heard over and over again, it's not the military's responsibility to make policy. For better or worse, a civilian authority makes policy, and that continues in the U.S. today. That being yep. said, he does understand the gravity of the situation and doesn't take it lightly. He does come through in the end when the chain of command has been broken. He's right when he qualifies his rescue by saying Sheridan will have to go in front of a tribunal. Old school for sure. Yep. Agreed. 100%. Number three, ramming speed is possibly one of the most powerful moments in the whole of the series. We don't need any words. Sheridan's face says it all. I agree. Yep. Uh, in the words of his father, never start a fight but always finish it. We hear that a lot. Uh, the look of true grit on his face makes your heart race. Is this how it all ends? Left court's appearance is fist pumping, and as the Agamemnon comes through the fire, I know my heart beats faster. Yep. Everything she said, I, I experienced the same way. Word. And number four, did you catch the Nosferatu film reference of the telepath shadow against the wall? There's another horror movie trope for you. I did not catch that. Ah, I do remember that now. It kind of flicked. It's kind of because he's got the long, skinny yeah. shadow. And it, yeah, I, I do remember that. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I have a comment on that, on, yes. on the whole, the whole uh, experience. When they were flashing through everything, and they showed the uh, the the lady from the cover of the um, Babylon Five uh, reference yeah, so book, and when they flashed it on screen, all the blue and neon glowing things behind her looked like circuitry because you know she was taking over the ship and all that. Yep. If you look at the cover, <laughs> that is a paisley curtain hanging behind her with a black light shown on it to pick out a lot of the elements of the Paisley design that if you look at it really quick and just kind of glance at it, look like circuitry. But if you wow. hold it in front of you and look at it, it's just a Paisley curtain. On Holy cow. I don't no, have no, those no. books anymore. I used to have them and I remember exactly what you're talking about, but I haven't, yeah. I, don't, I don't have them anymore. Another Let me, perfect example. Holy crap. Of, 
Babylon 5 doing more with less. Yeah. There it is. I'm looking at it on the screen. Yep. All right. Good deal. And she says, number five, lastly, I'm always moved by Maggie Egan's pre-martial law ISN reporter. That's performance. I think she's really right. feeling it. Yeah. Same thing in, in uh, Rising Star. Right. She says, uh, it's such an, speaking of, of Endgame, it's such an intense episode. How could you not feel it deeply? This one is a solid five for me and always has been. I want to also see this episode on a movie screen. I agree. We gave it a five, didn't we? Surely we did. We, we did, yeah. We yeah, absolutely right. did. All right. Uh, oh, Allison says, from the B5 Encyclopedia, Atumbe, a human Earth Force major who was third in command aboard B5 and served as Lieutenant Commander Susan Ivanova's relief in 2258. And I think the references are uh, 122 eyes. Yeah. That's when they sh- shot him out of order. 206 spider in the web. And, and I think that's... I can't upload a picture to the comments. Okay. Uh, I'm going to give her a little heart thing love for that one. Um, good deal. So we, now we know he is... We're not just making him up and having a mass right. delusion. It's not like okay. the the uh, Mandela, Mandela effect or whatever. Mandela effect, right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see, Rich Hammett. We're catching up, so we just wanted uh, we just watched and listened to this one. Uh, oh, intersections in real time. Van, this interrogation is almost identical to Winston's interrogation in 1984. Didn't you say you'd read that? Yeah, in high school. That was a couple of years ago, uh, Rich. <laughs> a couple of decades ago. <laughs> a couple of decades. That's a nice way of putting it. They explain the reasons for the goals of the torture throughout the book. He would be used, just like they said in this episode, as a symbol that you can't fight the power. He'd fade away as a shadow until he was completely defeated and not useful as a symbol anymore, and he'd be killed. And he welcomed the bullet. The last lines of 1984, he had won the victory over himself. He loved Big Brother. This is exactly what JMS wrote in this episode, an ultimate psyop based on 1984. I think it was magnificently executed in writing and performance. Uh, surely you're also familiar with Hannah Arendt's Eichmann in Jerusalem, a report on the banality of evil, which is what the bureaucratic torturers were displaying, the banality of evil. Yes, I get that. Right. Um, and um, Rich also says this might be the best episode of the show for me right now. This That intersection in real time was too dang dark and depressing to be my favorite episode by any means at all. Way too dark and uh, depressing. Well, Rich, a Team Andy t-shirt will be in the mail for you soon, sir. <laughs> very good. Uh, all right, let's see. Debbie, no spoilers. Rich, I, I, oh, Rich, go ahead. Is very well, Rich is very well read. He is, yeah. I credit, yeah, credit well, to him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's see. Uh, Debbie says, this episode, Endgame, is so satisfying. After years of sacrifice and struggle, our heroes are victorious. Seeing the orbital defense platforms turned around to Earth is so chilling. Question, did Clark have a seeker like Lando, uh, or Londo, not Lando Norris, but Londo Molari, in War Without End? I wonder if his note was his way of warning that the entities controlling him were going to turn the orbital platforms rather than he himself doing it. That could explain the cryptic message scorched Earth if he's trying to get around the seeker like Londo getting drunk, just a thought. If Clark was being controlled, it makes his evilness less evil. All right, this warrants some talk for just a second. I agree oh, with I agree with everything Debbie says there, but I don't think Clark had a keeper. I think Clark was just... I think JMS has said he didn't have one. He was just evil on his own. But right. I totally agree that the keeper thing would have made the little message make, make more, more sense. sense. Absolutely, yeah. So, yep. 
So yeah, but yeah. That's good JMS stuff. has explicitly said no. He did not have a keeper. Yeah, but 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 I think that's really good, insightful observation by Debbie. It is absolutely. Uh, let's see more about in game. Pete says Pete Furman says. Um, doo, 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 doo. So in so in Rising Star, he gives me a whole spoiler space uh, thing here. Steven says Marcus must have hacked through six different levels of security encryption to get his logs on the alien healing device, but we watched Marcus in Endgame, and all he did was ask the B5 version of Amazon Alexa, and I went back and rewatched to make sure I was quoting him accurately. Computer, contact Babylon 5. I want a full search of medical records, searching keywords, blah, 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 blah. That's it. No hacking, security codes, or any other hoops to jump through. I agree. I thought about that, too, Andy. I thought about exactly what he's talking about there. But you know what? The Babylon 5 AI... She was a sucker for a British accent. So yeah, was, she just felt bad for him. And, right, and when the right. when when Marcus came through with a sexy British accent, it just broke down all of her inhibitions, and she was like, "Oh, Marcus, whatever you want." Yeah, yeah, I think so. And he says, "Stranger than that is that, however many years the station's been active, and all the things that have happened there, all that Alexa could come up with was six matches for terminal illness, death, and extreme measures." <laughs> That's a good point too. Right. Wow. I'm going ahead and give him a love for that. Um, yeah, uh, that was really good. Uh, number one, uh, as for as for General Left Court changing sides, I had no issue with it since he since when he came out of hyperspace. The first thing he said was, uh, "We've monitored the situation. Hold on to your hats." Meaning, not only did he know Clark was dead, but that Clark had turned the defense grid toward Earth. Uh, okay, some other stuff along those lines. All right, that's good. Um, Oh, and he says on a scale of one to five, in games of twenty six. I agree. Good yeah. job, good job, yeah. Pete. That's oddly specific number. Uh, it is an oddly specific number. Uh, ben, massive geek cred, Rose says in game is one of my favorite episodes, but there's one scene that annoys me. It's the same problem many Star Trek movies have. While I love it when Sheridan orders ramming speed, there is no way the Agamemnon was the only ship in range. That's fair. That's fair enough. Earth, Earth orbit is huge. I mean, Earth is what twenty four thousand miles around in circumference. It's pretty far, right? Yeah, I mean, they they only had even if they had two dozen ships, that'd still be a thousand miles between. You know. But it just seemed like all the all the ships in Sheridan's command were kind of bunched up, though. I don't know how he got so and, far away from all the others. And, I think. Well, I don't know. Yeah. It, it, but Earth orbit is huge, and if they have defense grids over every major population area i i don't know i i think that there was a lot of of that scene that was left unshot you know of the yeah. ships spreading around and that's like, fair because it was because it was so fast paced you couldn't show all the the yeah. slow movement of the ships encompassing the earth and all that stuff so i think that they just left it that one line of dialogue saying hey we're the only one in range when you put it that way it makes more sense and i like that i like that a yeah. lot all right, just a couple more. Mondo6 of Endgame says, I always liked how Sheridan was willing to sacrifice himself and his ship to take out the weapons platform. But I still to this day feel Sheridan's lines are too few. He says, all power to the engines give me ramming speed. But where is the order to evacuate the ship or all non-essential crew to the life pods? Just seems like they missed. And again, I think it's like you said, it needed. It, 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 that might have all happened and we only just saw a snippet of it. 
Right. And he didn't have time. They didn't have time to evacuate. He had seconds to, to destroy that thing. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, just seems like they missed how connected he should have been to the crew. I mean, this was his old ship. And he trained that crew. I, I get what Mond is saying there. I do get right. it, but, I, but I'm with you, Andy. He says, I also wish that Earth Dome or someone would have recognized how he was willing to take out the weapons platform. It should have been emphasized that some in the government could clearly see from evidence that it wasn't about him. Yeah, okay. Right, right. Good deal. Uh, let's see, a couple more. Emma Jane says, I've been slowly catching up on the podcast episodes I've missed, but skip to this one because I love this episode so much. Everybody has made brilliant points already, so I just want to give a shout-out to Christopher Frankie for the music. Yes, amen. Yep. Because it really drives the tension during the last big battle for Earth and gives real pathos to Sheridan's potential sacrifice. Truly, what a show. Amen, right. Emma. Uh, ben I, I has... Don't, I don't oh, think, go ahead. I don't think... I don't think Christopher Frankie gets enough credit for no. his scoring of the entire series. I mean, it's, well, the, those seasons that he did. I think it was just brilliant. I mean, it was absolutely fantastic. I, what brought it home to me was when we heard Crusades music, I realized just how good we'd had it. And, and that's no right. shot at Evan Chin intentionally, because I, I find Crusades music interesting, and I'm glad he, JMS wanted to try something different. But I think he should have gone, yeah, this isn't going to work. We need to go back to Christian Frankie. Right. I agree. We'll, we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. Right. Uh, ben says, ever since Severed Dreams, we've heard Sheridan talk about his dad, but why didn't he ever worry about his sister? Oh, yeah. In season two, they seemed to be very close. Anna and Lizzie were friends. Did Clark's people arrest her? Did Johnny ever tell her what really happened to Anna and the Icarus? Uh, oh, especially wow. since the truth about Anna's decision to join the expedition to Zaha Doom was a major part of their reconciliation. I'm going to tell you right now, Andy, I forgot she existed. I did too. I, I, until, until he just mentioned it right here in this, this uh, post, yeah, I completely forgot. But wow. yeah, she was, she, she, she was a, a character in the show. I mean, she came on, mm -hmm. on screen and she wasn't just mentioned. She was a physical presence in the show. So yeah, yeah. That's, that's crazy. Just shows how much of an impact she actually made. Yeah, well, slipped through the cracks. Yeah. Right. And let's see. Finally, finally, from Ben, one more thing from Ben in the last 24 hours uh, about Endgame. I've had a little more time to think about it, and I can understand Franklin's hesitancy regarding the alien healing device, whether it's a bunch of telepaths modified by the shadows or a thousand-year-old leftover shadow weapons that Ducky found on Icara 7. He doesn't have a good track record with mysterious alien tech. And yes, I will forever refer to him as Ducky because he played a doctor and started telling a story. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> All right. I want to welcome M Emma Jane back, and I want to welcome our new member, Drazi Green. Drazi Green. Now we need to get Drazi Purple on here so they can squabble. That would be fun. <laughs> so somebody sign up as Purple Drazi. All right. Oh, my goodness. Thank you all so much for the great questions and stuff. Um, Andy, we got a couple of things left very quickly. This has run as long as I thought it might, but that's okay. Um, this was 421. N next week, on a very special episode of the White Rocket Babylon 5 Review Podcast, Andy's idea was that we go straight to 422. Well, guess what? 422 is not, is not um, Deconstructs of Falling Stars. 422, my friends, is called Sleeping in Light. And 
That's the series finale, but it was filmed next. So right. what Andy and I are probably going to do is record it as a special patrons-only episode next week. And then a week after that, we will do uh, Deconstruction of Falling Stars, which is the replacement ending for Season 4 that was filmed at the beginning of Season 5. Quickly, let me just run to it for those that don't know or have forgotten. They thought the series was going to end after Season 4. So Rising Star was effectively the end of the series, and uh, they did Sleeping in Light as 422 as kind of a What Becomes of Them Later episode, an epilogue, okay? Right. When they got a fifth season, JMS just pushed that episode, Sleeping in Light, all the way to the end of season five and made a new season four ending episode called Deconstruction of Falling Stars. And so... It's kind of 501, even though it's plugged into the 422 spot. I hope that makes sense. Right. So, Andy, we're going to do, we're going to go ahead and review Sleeping in Light now, as if it was the, uh, uh, you know, next week, as if it were the the end of the series. And then when we get to the end of season five, we will re we will post it for everybody and add in our thoughts, having just watched season five. Right, and f- for fun, we're going to have a segment on there treating the. We're going to open the episode treating it as if 422 was the final episode of the series, as if, as if season five never happened. Yeah. So we're going to have a, a, a discussion about how well that worked as a season finale and how mm-hmm. it wrapped everything up and, and where Babylon 5 goes from there. So I, I think that that will be fun. So I we'll think it will. On our our role-playing hats for a little bit. Yeah, that'll be a good, a good, good idea. And we'll do that. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Oh yeah. My question to you, and I'm going to go ahead and ask it now. We could be thinking about it for that episode is, and again, if you guys want to hear that episode now and not a year from now, or however long it takes us to get through season five. And we have other stuff to do on here before season five, too. We got the movies, a couple of movies that are coming up we got to cover, like uh, In the Beginning and Third Space, and a couple other things that we're going to do. And our season four wrap up episode is coming up in a few weeks. Um, So it'll be a while before we get through season five. Uh, We joke we dragged season four out for like a year and a half. So we're going to, season five, got a way to go. Yeah, because we don't want this show to end. We want it to keep going. Um, But anyway, if. If Rising Star and Sleeping in Light had been all they did, imagine how badly we would be wishing there was a season five. Right. Would we? Or would we think that things were wrapped up? We would be debating what would be what what would be included in it and how important it was. And right. I guarantee you the stuff that we would want included in it would be better than what's actually included in it. We can have this debate next episode. Yes, we can. That'll be fun. That's going to be fun. All right. Yeah. So programming note to sum up this little bit. Wait, there you were, will be you were a, saying if, if you want to listen to this now versus at a year the end from of, now, a year from now, what should they oh, be? sign up? Sign become up a patron. www.b5review.com. It'll be only up on the Patreon site for, for a long time. For a long time. Yeah. I don't know how long, but for a long time. 
Uh, programming note, there will be a few podcast episodes before we begin Season 5 because this is an important moment of transition. Ooh, see what I did there? In the I show's history, and several things happen at this point. There's the original ending, which we'll do next. There's the replacement ending. There's the TNT movies that were filmed. There's the Season 4 wrap-up episode where we have guests on, and we're even going to do a couple of other special things before we get into the actual Season 5 proper. And now... Jump gate activated. We're jumping to the other side of the spoiler space jump gate for just a couple of things. Because we've got to get on out of here, but just a couple of quick things. Um, so we were talking about season five. So if you haven't watched beyond this, stop now. Eject, eject, eject. Because I'm going to be spoiling like crazy here. Um, so the story goes that if Susan had come back for season five, it would have been her with Byron. And I don't think anybody wanted to see that. No. 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 And JMS has said that if if um, he had known that that Susan or that Claudio was coming back, no. What did he say? He said that. Okay. No. Go ahead. Because he said if he had known Claudio wasn't coming back, he wouldn't have killed Marcus off because he was such a popular character and would have been so much fun to write. For season five, so yeah, if you know Claudia is not if not available and Marcus is, you bring back Marcus, right? Have Franklin yeah. like run in and disconnect him really quickly, and he'd be like, "No, Stephen, no, let me do it." And Franklin's like, right. "No, damn it, Marcus!" Slapping him, and and then Susan <laughs> dies. She's too late. Yeah. It's too it's too late, Marcus. She's gone, right? Yeah, that would have been yeah. Wow. And then you'd had a season five with Marcus, very haunted, very driven, very obsessed, probably risking his life at every turn, almost suicidal, yeah. like a samurai on a mission, kind of, you know. Right. Interesting. Yeah. Um, do we ever see President Luchinko again? I don't think we do. I don't think so either. I don't remember her from season five. And no. by the time Crusade comes around, she's long gone. She's long gone by then, yeah. Yeah. It's too bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, was there? I had the note about Marcus's fate. That's pretty much what we just talked about. Anything else that we want to spoiler about about Susan, well, about Marcus, about his, any of that? It, well, his, yeah, his fate. JMS did oh. write a short story that was published, yes. and I'm not sure if JMS himself considers it canon because he said it was more of a gift to the fans of the show and, and to the, <laughs> the fans of the character, like a big, nice right. bowl of cyanide, a gift to the fans. <laughs> I don't know anybody that was happy with that story. And right. I know a lot of people that thought it was actively offensive. Right. I, I, I don't think that story came across like JMS was hoping it would come No. Across. Not yes. at all. He no. has said that he wanted to give the, char the character Marcus a perfectly happy ending. And I guess Dear you know, Lord. Marcus hanging out with the love of his life on a tropical planet might, I guess, in a Disassociated, disassociated sort of way would be paradise, but a happy ending. But uh, when you look at all the specifics of it, I mean, we can go ahead and address this now if you want, since we're probably not going to cover it in the future at all. But well, we'll do the we can do the magazine articles. Yeah, I mean the, the magazine we, okay. stories. We'll do those. All right, we, we can do that when, when it comes in. But but yeah. just say it. Just say that it basically. Because so, people will want to read it before we get to that one, and it'll be a little right. while. So, right. But basically, I'll just say it tries to give Marcus this happy ending, but at the expense of really just 
doing Susan completely wrong as a human being with any agency in her life. And it's right. A lot of people were actively offended by it to the point of like really heavily criticizing JMS. So, right. Yeah. I think it's the, the worst received thing he's ever done. Right. He didn't read the audience very well. Right. Right. Yes. So we'll talk about that when the day comes, but I don't want to spoil it before then. No, All right, I think I think we're to the end. Any final thoughts? No, I don't have anything. I I think this was just a a, a a brilliant episode. It was a lot of fun and and it was it was fun to talk about. It was um, fun to revisit. I, I liked it more than I remember liking it the first time around. So it was really fun to revisit it. I was I had I enjoyed revisiting this with you because I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I was beginning to think I was just crazy to think it was it was so good. And I'm glad I'm not, because you said the exact same number I did. So that's really cool. Right. Yeah. All right, gang. So go and go to www.b5review.com and sign up. And that way, as a patron, you will have access to our episode. We're not going to make any. We're not going to make our regular podcast listeners have to wait. We're just going to do a, a, a show a week from now on Sleeping in Light, and then two weeks from now we'll be back with our whatever our next regular episode will be, which will right. be probably deconstruction uh, of falling stars. Right. All right. All right. Well, the White Rocket Babylon 5 Read Podcast is going to get out of here for another episode. We will see you guys down the road. Take it easy, Andy. All right. You too, Van. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production.